A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. Right, and this is it. It is the reading room, the place where you can find out about the books that you should be reading, the people that you should be reading, and of course, everything to do with the English language. And occasionally, a little bit of other languages thrown in between, especially if we're talking about South African vernacular. And my guest today is somebody who I need to find out how she's up to her causa game, because this is something she intended doing during lockdown. I'm speaking to none other than Kim Stevens, who many of us actually followed really intently online on Facebook during the lockdown era here in South Africa because she brought a smile to our face. And I think that is a very important thing, especially when the country is going through something very difficult. But of course, through her writings and musings and all the stuff that came out on her timeline, a lot of people said, time for you to put all of those things into a book. And she did. And that's what we are speaking about today. First of all, Kim, why hold the line? You say that I immediately start thinking of a war movie where they're saying, hold the line, you shall not pass. Are you Gandalf? <laughs> I think hold the line as a title came about for so many different reasons. One of those reasons is um, before COVID knocked us sideways, I had established a, I'd been doing sports media and sports writing and sports marketing for a long time from a PR perspective, from athlete management perspective, across various brands as a consultant for a long time. And I recently made the decision to develop a website that would review gear and um, cover races independently, lots of ultra distance running races. And I called it Hold the Line because of the whole towing the line and often starting an ultra marathon is a little bit like going to war, if only with your toenails. But it all kind of felt like it had the right kind of connotations for a sports marketing platform. And after investing considerable money and time into that project, COVID decided to come along and all sports is cancelled. So effectively leaving me unemployed with a good stash of, of illegal gin and time to to write and reconsider. And Hold the Line has changed its meaning for me over the, the last few years. Now it's more about holding together. And I think we've really, if COVID has ta taught us one thing, it's that we are better together. We're better when our, our opinions aren't dramatically divided. We're better as a country when we try and do things together. We're better when we stand up against strange rules and regulations together. And I don't mean the alcohol ban. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was one of the things, I mean, the amount of people who were starting to make um, all kinds of pineapple beer. Were you one of the people who did the pineapple beer and, and the banana bread? I know that you kept on going on about banana bread along, along the line as well. No, I'm terrible. I can't bake. Um, I can cook. I made a lot of banana pancakes because um, I think we often found our way into like 
I don't know, we weren't shopping like we used to shop. So there were frequently fruit bananas and things that had to be used. And eventually I found a recipe for protein banana pancakes. So the kids and I ate a lot of those. I didn't brew any beer or wine or anything like that or pineapple beer from home. But I was in on the, the suburban bootlegging. That was proper fun. <laughs> yeah, I could see those parties that you were having and that was one of the things that I quite enjoyed was the, the house parties where everybody was in their own houses but you were all online together and having a full-on party. But more than that, I mean, for you as a runner, and I mean, you, I know you were training for what was it, the two oceans, doing 21Ks, you did a whole bunch of stuff to keep you and, and your, your mini-me fit and happy during lockdown by doing your backyard challenge. And that, I think, started around about day 16 of lockdown, if memory serves. Yeah, I was actually training for a 100k mountain race um, when it all kind of came crashing down in Drakensberg. Then I ended up with a 54-meter little circuit that I, the dogs and I could run. I tried to do 20 minutes of that every day. And then, yeah, we had various challenges, skipping challenges. Um, can you do 20 minutes every day on the day of the race? They'd organized and emailed all the participants a number to print out and pin on. And we did that like absolute fools with our headlamps on it all individually in our homes across the country and ran whatever distance we could. Um, some on a treadmill, those that were lucky enough to get their hands on one before lockdown, all round and round the garden, up and down the passage. Some people had balconies and that's all they could do it on. But yeah, we tried to, to keep it as active as possible with various pull-up challenges and all sorts of things. Who did win the pull-up challenge, by the way? I mean, I can't even do one pull-up, let's be honest about it. So I was quite amazed by the fact that you guys were doing this thing. How many did you manage to get going? <laughs> I think I managed then up to only about four, but I've since become a CrossFitter, so I'm a little better on that now. Oy vey, CrossFit. Okay, let's not go there. Now, one of the other things that I see on your timeline quite a lot, and I know I keep on jumping out of the book and jumping back because I'm, I'm fascinated with your life, is how pa uh, passionate you are about dog fostering. There's always this thing about getting people to foster dogs. And I mean, is the book going to help you get more people to get involved in doing that? I really hope so. Um, we have such a crisis well, around the world, but in particular in South Africa, around indiscriminate breeding and then stray animals. So I aligned with a, an adoption agency or dog. They're an animal care facility and they do multiple kind of interventions with regard to dog health in impoverished areas and rescues. Mostly dogs, some cats as well, called African Tails. They're based in Cape Town. And they don't, they've got a no cage policy. So when they have dogs that are abandoned or they intervene with, um, with a breeding, uh, illegal breeding or whichever care um, channel they, they go through, they'll only take those pups or dogs if they've got a foster willing to put their hands up. So like a sucker, I'm on a WhatsApp group and then every so often really need bottle fed or very healthy, beautiful pups to thrive and get to know other, you know, other dogs, children, cats. So yes, it's a critical role. And then I bombard all my social media followers with puppy pics until one of them is worn down enough to say, yes, I'll take them. I'm, I'm rather glad that I live up in Johannesburg and not in Cape Town because otherwise I know I'd be saying, okay, I'll take dogs, I'll take dogs, I'll take dogs because I, I just look at these pictures and think that is what I should be doing. I should be fostering puppies. I mean, I am a bit of a mad puppy, but anyway. Um, a couple of things that came up that I was like really interested in. First of all, you obviously didn't find a farmer to marry because you said at one stage, I should have married a farmer or you're looking for one and everybody was going on about Bursukafro and that's a thing that I've got going on at the moment as well. What <laughs> What was that all about? Was it just so that you could be com like completely self-sufficient or so that you could run bigger distances on a farm? I think one of my dreams when I was in my 20s and working 
for a magazine called Wan Magazine, uh, which is one of the Ramsey media titles at the time, was I did a lot of trips out into the winelands and was therefore exposed to just the most beautiful lifestyle. And quite often you'd come as a, I was selling advertising space in Wine Magazine. I wasn't writing. So we'd do a feature on Robertson and they'd say, okay, Kim, off you go in your little white chico into the Robertson winelands for two or three nights in some accommodation, some little cottage somewhere and go and visit all the wine farms and make sure they book an ad while we're featuring their region. So absolute win for someone in their twenties. But the funniest part of that was, that you, one of the first questions you'd get from the you know, the owner of the farm or the the farmer or his wife, are you single? <laughs> so and so son on this farm, and then the next thing you know, there's a dinner <laughs> arrangement, and it was quite fun. But no, I never found uh, my wine farmer. I married uh, the father of my children in my twenties, a fantastic guy, and we've been divorced ten years now. Okay, and I mean you've been through a whole bunch of stuff over the. We will get into that in a moment. I'm still like I'm still going through my my recollections of what you were doing while you were in lockdown, which was the the thing that I think got everybody's attention and where it all started for a lot of people knowing who you were and how good your writing was, was the middle class South African categories. Are you any of them? First of all, yes, I think I overlapped into into most categories at some point or another. I think we all had those those weird shifts where at, at some point you'd feel completely overwhelmed and negative about this disconnect. I had bouts of massive depression where I thought, what is this and how do we recover from this? Is Has life changed permanently? Is this it now? Am I never going to have a family gathering? Am I never going to see my son run on and play. He he started his he started playing for Rondebosch first team in mm. lockdown, which was his lifelong dream since he was seven. He's a fantastic little rugby player. And he got his first caps, his first run ons, and we couldn't be there. And I get so choked up thinking about it because I sat in my kitchen by myself with a little link that I'd sent to all friends and family. And these boys, once they eventually were able to play sport for for the first year there there was nothing. And then for the second year we had just they were running on. And we couldn't even be there. And now this season, his final season, thankfully, he's had that opportunity. Lots of kids missed it completely. But there's thousands of us at a Rondebosch Bishops game or Saks Rondebosch we just had this last weekend. And now we can see it all happening. But for a while, we were we were so depressed and I think became quite negative. And I never quite went into the conspiracy theorist category. That was never me. And I definitely was, wasn't one of those eternal optimists either that was like, this is the greatest blessing and it's been sent to help us all press pause and we're all going to live, laugh, love our way out of this thing. I wasn't one of those either. I was probably somewhere in the moderate middle. I also wasn't a super organized adapter who had all the homeschooling down and had all the deliveries happening in a, in a regime. I didn't have a structure to the day. I kind of felt like the kids and I wafted in and out. It was mostly just my then 11 year old daughter and I alone because, um, my son wanted to be with his stepbrothers and, and his dad at their house most of the time, just more boy activity going on there. So a lot of the time we wafted in and out of our day. The, the pile, pile of laundry never got ironed. It just kind of, we dressed ourselves from the dining room table. So I was probably one of those in lockdown, managed to get an, you know, exercise in most of the time, but that, even that enthusiasm waned um, considerably. But, um, yeah, I also wasn't one of the rages. I, I wasn't angry about the fact that we had to wear masks. If that's what we had to do, then that's what we had to do. If we needed to get the vaccine or protect our frontline workers, then that's what we needed to do. And if we needed to avoid gatherings or mm. travel or be super careful for a while, then yeah, then that's what we had to do. There was no other country or leader who had it more organized or more sorted than, than we did, although we did experience the more radical version of lockdown. 
Well, we saw that a lot of your anger actually was directed at uh, one or two people at the end of various chapters on the on your well, just <laughs> writings. It's always a f you to a certain person. Do you still feel the same way? <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> uh- there's not a lot of hate in me and not a lot of hate for most people I think for the most part we're all just doing our best right and my whole thing about hold the line is that we we stand together and recognize our similarities and thrive as a country based on similarities rather than our our polar differences or the the differences that have been pointed out to us over the decades but yes there is a, a leader in within our current government who's supposed to be in charge of our safety and security and our and and reducing crime and reducing risk and um and he's not he's failed us considerably and when called out he rages and uses you know irrelevant stories and and he responds with ego and there is nothing more infuriating for a country that's crippled by crime statistics to watch somebody like that whose primary portfolio it is to protect us does not seem to have a handle on solutions and even if he was failing but trying i think we'd be a lot more forgiving so yes, anyone who has a dislike for that individual and his his mafia nineteen twenties mafia or nineteen fifties mafioso personality, then will probably enjoy the book a lot. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of things that people are going to enjoy a lot as well. But what I wanted to know, really, I mean, for those of us, and I think we did a lot of us fluctuate between, you know how we should be feeling, getting depressed, is this going to change? Is it all going to be okay? Are we going to live like this forever? Do you think that it in any way has changed people for the better on a long-term basis? Have you noticed that in the way that people deal with you? Has it changed you as a person? I mean, are you a lot more thankful for the times that you can get out and be with family and go running and do all of the things that you couldn't do that you wrote about? Um, Definitely. I think um, there was... You know, grief changes all of us, and I think grief is always good and bad because grief also teaches us what we've lost and and therefore how to prioritize life. But grief is also crippling and extremely exhausting and and difficult to manage. So we were collectively grieving um, huge losses. There were kids grieving their matric dances. There were kids that were doing their matric um, that couldn't access any content online and and lost their way because they were sitting in in homes without Wi-Fi and without devices where they could access um, their curriculum. So we still, as a community, I think, are a deep in grief in many areas. But yes, absolutely. There are definite moments every single time we sit around my mom's dining room table as a family. Still, I think I missed this. I missed this. So I can't get enough of this. And I, I would never put off a family dinner now. Sitting in the rugby stadium, watching my son play. I'm always completely overwhelmed by emotion. And I know it's not just because I'm proud that he's out there, but because we almost missed that whole thing. It almost didn't happen for us. And it didn't happen for a lot of families. Now, you started out saying that you were in the whole sports field. I know that you also had a stint in radio that, I mean, now you're an author. First of all, what was it that you wanted to be when you were growing up? Secondly, what I know that you said you would never become a plumber or a pool maintenance person because you were useless at that, which is, is it in the book? Because I just remember that from your, um, your writings online. Is there in, did you ever think that you would become somebody who would publish a book? And what would you actually really like to be doing? I know it's a lot of questions, but I'll give you the opportunity to answer it all in one. So the, the, the youthful dream was journalism and that's where I was headed. And then as described in the book, um, I got to, sort of three or four months after my matric finals and I was very definitely pregnant and in a it's a a psychological denial that is very real 
um, that has, has since been explained to me, where you can operate on one level and have reality pushed to another side. So I still went off to Plet with my friends after school and carried on and applied to both UCT and Rhodes and was accepted at both, and then was headed off to Rhodes to to become a journalist. With what end, I don't know whether I wanted to be a you know a wine writer or to go to war, I'm not sure, but that was the dream. And then there was obviously another plan. So I did a short-term PR and business communication diploma and took care of my beautiful little girl. And we navigated our, she's 25 now, and we've navigated a really special, very different journey. She's the artist who did the my book cover. Um, so that's been a really special thing to be able to share with her. But um, no, I, I've never been the most practical person in terms of, of home maintenance or anything like that. I'm always very excited to be able to outsource that to somebody more practical than me. I can plan these things. I can I can set it all up. I don't mind going into like a micro hardware and buying all the stuff that's needed. In fact, I think that's quite cool, which was probably the first sign that I wasn't as straight as I think I am. I thought I was. So because that's a, a joke that a lot of, you know, you find all the giggles in, in micro hardware on a Saturday morning. That's the hangout. But um, <laughs> I'll go and do all the planning for a project like that but yeah actually pulling it off myself is is not really possible and no I never thought I would get a book out because it always felt like quite an egotistical thing to do why is my life story going to impact or be important to anybody else why I haven't cured cancer I haven't put a rocket you know into outer space I haven't set foot on the moon so why why would I want to write my story um, and then eventually you learn that all, all the lessons that each of us are learning are important to to anyone else and even as irrelevant as my divorce story might be or my journey as a teenage mother um, I realized over the years that the little nuggets that have attached themselves to me through learning are actually relevant to anybody else going through the same kinds of journeys so hopefully this is the first book and maybe there are some more I'm hoping there will be more because I've, I mean, I'm really enjoying writing. I mean, I'm reading the book again and reading through some of those things and how they made me feel at the time when I read them in real life or, well, you know, on social media, obviously. What do you think that people can get out of this book? I mean, it's not a self-help book. It is a, a book of a woman's looking at society in South Africa and how your course navigating through it impacted on some other people, but mainly it's, it's mainly about you. What could people get out of the book if they hadn't read any of your writing while you were doing it during lockdown? So one of the more emotional stories, and, and I told it with my daughter's full permission, but um, if anyone's going through parenting a child with anxiety or depressive tendencies who feels like that's a direct reflection on, on their parenting, who doesn't know how to show up for their daughter or their son in that space. And it's rife. Our kids are under pressures that we never had to even consider when we were growing up. So anxiety and depression is, it's fairly catastrophic at a, at a adolescent and pre-adolescent level. I'd love that story and how we dealt with it to be, and how I nearly failed at it, um, to be shared. I almost lost her to, to suicide. And that story is very much part of the book and a very much a part of my parenting journey. Um, it changed everything. So hopefully there's take out there. I was a, a pregnant teen at 18 and with incredible support from my parents. Um, my father's classic line in the book is that you can make this your excuse for failure or your reason for success. And there are little gems in there from, from my own parents and from my children too, in terms of their wisdom that I hope become takeout for, for other people. And then one of the other big things that I want women in particular to know is you're not 
overplaying your drama card if you decide to change your direction 15 times in life. We're heavily judged and just more so women when we change, when we change careers or we lose weight, gain weight, we become muscular or we become more feminine or we change our style of dressing or cover half our bodies in tattoos or choose to breastfeed or don't breastfeed or whatever the the choices are. We seem to be gunned at every direction. Just do what works for you. I came out as gay after two divorces and three children. And I felt one of the reasons my therapist says (laughs) that I didn't come out earlier was that I felt I'd overplayed a drama card. I'd made too many life changes. I'd been a pregnant teen and I'd gotten divorced and where's your limit? You know, when, when are you supposed to stop making changes and just settle down into the woman that you've become? And there's no, there's no time. There's no kind of restriction on that. Whatever it takes and whichever direction life takes you, don't sit somewhere where you don't feel authentically you. And it's okay if that authentically you changes over the years, like be, be exactly who you're meant to be, be unafraid. I know I've been lucky to be mostly supported by all my friends and family, and in particular, my three children. But you'd be surprised at how supportive the world is when you are living your truth. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, sorry, you just like sent chills through my spine. I think we should all be living like that. And it doesn't matter. You're quite right. We can change. We can like every 10 years, if you feel you want to be somebody else or do something new, why not? Why do you have to be stuck in the same thing all the time? And you're living proof of this that I mean, okay, so something comes along, it messes your life up. All you do is you say, well, hello, let's take another look at it. And actually not a depressing look at it, but to, to just make it go forwards. But I'm sure that most of us were very glad that we were divorced during lockdown. I know I would have been divorced <laughs> after lockdown had I stayed married. Um, <laughs> an interesting thing though as well, I mean, we, we, during lockdown we, we needed so much to keep our minds kind of involved in stuff that sitting down, a lot of people have said this, sitting down and actually reading a book became quite difficult. We couldn't consume things in long periods of time because our brains were going all over the place. And we also got so used to reading like little short stories like you were putting out that still have you managed to get back into reading again? Because I know at one stage you were saying that um, sitting down and reading a whole book was actually kind of too much. Yeah, totally. Um, I've had a lot of people say to me, thanks for not publishing a a very long book. (laughs) It's relatively short. It's easy to read. It's not... um because I think a lot of us are still stuck in that. We, or I haven't, I haven't read a whole book since six months into lockdown was the last time I read a full book. I've read lots of articles. I've read plenty of online articles. I'm working full time as a, as a copywriter on the 6060 account. So I have to read and stay current for a, a brand like that, but I'm definitely not sitting down with novels and I'm not sure if that's a permanent brain shift or if it just is going to come back gradually. Hopefully it comes back. But I think it's the way the world has gone as well, because, I mean, social media has really taken over our lives so much. I know that at one stage you decided to stop following people on Twitter or get off Twitter because Twitter is just a bit of a cesspit. So when it comes to social media, though, I mean, obviously, you know, I follow you and I'll follow some other people whose writing is also really, really good. Who do you follow? Who do you really enjoy getting information from or watching? I mean, are you on TikTok? Are you on Insta? Are you? I mean, we know you're on Facebook. What else? What do you get out of it? Yeah, so locally, I think I enjoy differing opinions. Um, Graham, Graham Codrington is one um, South African that I follow whose, whose insight I really appreciate. And I love Brent from Good Things Guy. I think his positivity and his energy is sometimes just an absolute antidote to all the, the rubbish that we, that we follow. And otherwise, I've just got friends that are doing cool things and I like seeing what they're doing. People that I, that have joined my world through the lockdown writing. I've got thousands of new friends and people that I'll probably never 
meet in person, but I so enjoy those interactions, little messages of good luck or, you know, someone has a baby and I've never even met them in person, but I find myself congratulating them on, on a birth or something exciting and beautiful. So I try and filter out anything that feels racist or homophobic or too kind of centered on, on whiteness and the white narrative because it's too easy to get stuck in that bubble. We all grew up one way. It's better to learn life in different ways. So yeah, I just try and follow positivity. I'm very seldom on, on Twitter. I find that quite, quite draining. And I think some people just jump onto Twitter for the sake of, of having a fight and life's a little too short for that. I don't mind debates. I don't mind being wrong. And I, I mean, if I'm going to put my opinion out, and, out there, then I also need to accept that not everyone's going to like it and people are going to come onto my timeline and challenge me. And that's okay. As long as we debate kindly. Absolutely. Now I'm going to get back to what I said right in the very beginning. How is your Torza going? <laughs> it's not. And I know my friend Sim is going to listen to this and he's going to say, yeah, you gave up. He was doing online courses and I really wanted to. And then I also think I lost the kind of brain capacity for it. It is a life goal. I really have got so, so few life regrets. I really don't regret much, but not becoming proficient in an additional South African language is one of those regrets. So it is something that I, I will turn around and my kids will eventually push me to follow through in that commitment, I promise. You, you've got plenty of time. I mean, I'm like my age. I'm now, I'm still pick, trying to relearn Zulu because it's been quite a long time. So, Zulu Kozolunga. So you get, I know you've got your clicks right and everything. So <laughs> keep at it. I want to hear, I want to have a conversation with you in Kosa in the not too distant future. No, I don't know. I mean, I won't, under pressure, I'd probably mess them up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So have you given up on the spec poem challenge? Number one, you, you did well on the pull up challenge. What is your next challenge? So those are the three challenge questions. So my current challenge, <laughs> I, I think, is to recognize mental health boundaries and barriers. I've just put in leave for Friday and the following Monday to take a bit of a breather. This book launch has been a lot more emotionally taxing than I thought it would be. I think because it's a personal story, I feel like I'm walking around naked in the streets or in a, you know, in a mall on payday. And it's brought a lot of people back into my life from the past who've now bought a copy and have either had questions about it or just wanted to congratulate me. And all of that's been super cool, but also very, um, it's very vulnerable uh, and it's very, um, it's exhausting. So, and I do have a full time, I, I am working full time and, uh, and this book has almost become a full time sideline thing. So all my available spare time is spent on that and on reading messages and people's feedbacks and reviews, which I so appreciate. So I think I'm going to also practice what I preach and slow it all down a little bit. I have an incredible partner with a very small child still. And although my kids are teenagers and really all they need from me is to be consistently loving and then drive them from each, you know, everywhere they need to be all the time. Um, I also need to give back to myself a little bit and yeah, take a few breathers. I've stopped running massive long distances. I'm finding more fun just on a short CrossFit class and then a couple of short runs. With, um, yeah, my best friend had a, a leg fracture. So I've had no running partner for the last little while, but she's coming back. And yeah, a few of those little runs reconnecting with the mountain a bit and not, not piling too much stuff in. There will be another book, but I think at the moment, primary goal is just to solidify everything and, and breathe a bit. I'm going to push you on this one now. What is the next book going to be about? Is it still going to be about writings about society or do you have a fiction kind of thing in mind? So the one idea, um, which I've discussed with quite a few of my friends, is to put together a book on divorce stories. So we've surrounded by divorce is a very average statistic, 
but we've all got different stories to tell around it. And um, some people have left men to pursue relationships with women. Some people have left men to pursue relationships with themselves. Some women have lost their children. Some men have lost their children or become estranged from their children. We've all faced different financial uh, repercussions of divorce. Some divorces has, you know, have resulted in years of animosity. Other people live on shared properties with their exes. And they all, all those stories fascinate me and they all become a potential handbook for anybody else going through the same thing. So perhaps anonymously, or if anyone's willing to use their name, that's also fine. But yeah, I'd like to put together 20 or 30 chapters, each one dedicated to a divorce story. And each one will be the, how did it begin? As in how in love they were and, and why they got married. The, the, the messy middle and then how it ended and how they coped and what their systems and structures were because there's learnings in that for all of us. So that's that's mm. currently the next plan. How to love and lose graciously, hey? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. So now people looking for your books, um, in stores, online, through you, where can they find it? Yeah, so um, yeah, friends and family or anyone willing to to fetch from me in Cape Town, they're super willing, super welcome to buy the last of my allocated copies from me. Uh, but it is an exclusive books across South Africa, and it's on online platforms like Loot. And Amazon has got the Kindle version. It's been really cool having friends from overseas. That someone said the other day that their aunt in Texas has just bought it. I was like, that's wild. My book's being read in Texas. Um, so yeah, those are the the mainstream channels now. Excellent. It's, it's everywhere. We keep googling to see if anyone's given any reviews, and I get terrified to see if someone's going to give me a one. But then I suppose once you get your first one star, you just get over it after that. It's very subjective. I, I do get that. I don't know. I'm I'm looking at the book and just thinking. I'm I'd probably out of a and I never ever give tens. I very very ra- rarely give anything like a really good mark. I'd, I'd definitely be giving this a nine out of ten. That's like the highest anybody will ever get from me. So really, thank you for first thank of all you. keeping <laughs> us going down, going during lockdown, and for actually bringing it out. And yes, please keep on writing. I mean, if you can bring this to people and and give them a different way of looking at things, instead of sitting there and thinking, oh, woe is me, and actually thinking hang on a second I'm really not doing that badly what can I do for somebody else that's the way I see what you've done here so big ups to you and thank you so much for taking time out of your very very busy schedule enjoy your time off that's the most important thing (laughs) and please let us know when the next book's coming out I will do I must have a meeting with Tracy McDonald is my amazing publisher she and I must do a little recon at, at some point and then plan for the next book but thank you so much for the exposure and for having the chat and for all the the Facebook support over the last few years I truly appreciate it excellent so ladies gentlemen readers go and find hold the line it's out everywhere and of course just remember just keep reading keep supporting and especially if you're here in South Africa just take a deep breath and smile we'll catch you again soon You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.